Well, good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Good, yeah, so good to be with you guys. We are glad you have joined us. If you're visiting with us or you're new to this place, we are in the middle of a series called Break the Mold. And we've been looking at the lives of people found in the scriptures to see how God has used them to break the mold of their culture and to see biblical change take place in them and through them to have an unbelievable impact in their culture that thousands of years later, we're still talking about these people, and more importantly, the God that they follow. And that's what we get to do this morning as we open up God's word together. And so I want to invite you to stand with me as we turn to the New Testament. So we've been looking at the Old Testament. We're stepping into the New Testament, Matthew chapter 16. The words are going to be on the screen. There's going to be some things that are underlined. We're just going to read it all together. I'm not going to give that little pause to see if you read or not. We're just going to read it all together. Where it's underlined, you read out with me. And we're going to jump into the word of God together. Y'all ready for that? Are, okay. Are y'all ready for that? Okay, we stood up to get the blood flowing. There you go. All right, all right, here we go. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? I want us to just keep that question in our hearts and our minds as we walk through the sermon this morning. Who do you say that I am? Picking up verse 16. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pray, and then you may be seated. Father, we just come to say thank you for being a God who loves us, who calls us, who knows us. And God, we thank you that even as we've read your word, that the bold proclamation that is in, in the, this passage, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so we come into this place as people, some of us who know you, some of us who are learning more about you, and some of us who may not know who you are, Jesus, that you are the Christ of the living God. And I ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would fix our eyes on you, Jesus. The Christ, the Messiah, the promised one who has brought salvation and redemption and restoration for each and every one of us. So God, we give you praise and glory that you would love us so much. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So where the Lord, you may be seated. Well, today, who do you think is the character? Who's the person that we're looking at today? Uh, all right, let's try that again. It starts with a P and ends with a Urter. <laughs> I, just, I don't know how you say it. <laughs> it's Peter. We're talking about Peter today. We're looking at one of the most important figures that we see in the New Testament, in the Gospels especially, and what I want you to understand this morning, too, is we look at the Gospels. These are all uh, 
eyewitness accounts, recordings of people's encounters with Jesus and the things that went on around Jesus' earthly ministry. And so each, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they give different little uh, facets, if you will, to the story. And we get to see different parts. And so whenever you are looking and you're looking um, in the Bible and you're studying someone like Peter and you're looking at these stories... You have to make sure you're not just looking at one person's account because God uses all of these other accounts to help us see a bigger picture, to understand more of what's happening. And that's a similar thing that I experienced in reading about Peter as a young man. I remember going to passages like Matthew 4, 18 through 22, and I want to show you this because it's always kind of perplexed me as we look at the passage, Matthew 4, 18 through 22 on this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter. So Peter's full name is actually Simon, and we'll get to why we call him Peter in just a little bit. And, his, and Andrew, his brother, casting the net into the sea, for they were, say it with me, fishermen. All right, so we know what they do. We know their occupation. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. So if you just look at that passage, you would go, that's really interesting. Some guy that they had never met before all of a sudden walks up to them on their job and says, Hey, why don't you come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Okay, that's an interesting invitation and a weird request. Please and no thank you. Um, But then you go to Luke and you see, we're not going to show this on the screen, but I want you to write this down. I want you to write in your notes Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Luke 5, 1 through 11. And then when you go there later, if you're in your small groups or with your family, open this up and you begin to look and to see a little bit more of why they immediately dropped their nets and followed him. But if you're taking notes, it's not on the screens. What I want you to understand is that we're not going to do a full deep dive into the life of Peter, but you need to understand that when Jesus invited Simon to follow after him and Andrew and some of these other disciples to leave their vocations as fishermen, He was inviting them into a new way of life because these men would have been on the Sea of Galilee. And I had an unbelievable opportunity this past week to actually be in Israel and to see some of these things with my eyes for the first time. And I tell you what, people say it all the time, but when you're there, it helps you see the scriptures like you've never seen it before. And so throw up one of the pictures of the Sea of Galilee back there for me. This is where Peter and those men would have been fishing on water like this. And Jesus invites them to leave it all behind and to follow him to become fishers of men. And we have to understand, write it down, Jesus' invitation is a new way of living. A new way of living. But this is right where Jesus would have seen these guys fishing. They would have brought their nets in and they would begin to live a completely different life following after Jesus. And that's what we understand that Peter is a few things today. I want you to understand that first and foremost, Peter is a fisherman, that Peter's a fisherman, that Peter is flawed, and Peter is a follower. And so I kind of give that intro to who Peter is as a fisherman to let you see the pictures of the very water that Peter and his other brothers uh, and his friends would have been fishing into is because Jesus, Peter is ultimately a fisherman. He had a job. You could substitute your name or your role. Maybe you're a businessman or a businesswoman or a teacher or a principal or you're a mom or a dad. Fill in the blank, an accountant, whatever you want to call yourself, whatever your role is. We're going to find today that Peter's life is so similar to ours because we are people that have jobs and vocations. But Jesus is inviting you right now into a new way of living. 
What we're going to find out through the life of Peter is there's a lot of ups and there are a lot of major lows in Peter's life. And ultimately, our vision for, uh, from the scriptures as a church is to multiply transform followers of Jesus, to see lives change from the inside out. And we're going to see in the life of Peter that ultimately he is a follower of Jesus. That is the defining characteristic of Peter. And that our hope and prayer is that that is the defining characteristic of each and every one of you. As I was reading and studying, I found um, just kind of this passage, and I think it kind of frames a little bit about the life of Peter. I just want to read it to you to kind of give some more context to help us know who Peter is and what's happening in the Scriptures. This writer says, Peter's name is mentioned in the Gospels more than any other name except Jesus. No one speaks as often as Peter, so we have all of these like quotes from Peter, which are some are good and highs, and some of them are lows because of his flaws. And no one is spoken to by the Lord as often as Peter, and no disciple is so frequently rebuked by the Lord as Peter. And no disciple ever rebukes the Lord except Peter. No one else confessed Christ more boldly or acknowledged his lordship more explicitly, yet no other disciple verbally denied Christ as forcefully or as publicly as Peter did. No one is praised and blessed by Christ the way Peter was, and yet Peter was the only one Christ ever addressed as Satan. The Lord had harsher things to say to Peter than he ever said to any of the other followers. This is who Peter is, a fisherman, flawed, and a follower of Jesus. And we're going to take a look and walk through his story. So if you remember, uh, there's kind of a famous story with Peter in the book of Matthew where all of a sudden that Sea of Galilee, that picture that I showed you, and there's actually a panoramic one they're going to throw up here in just a second um, for us. On the Sea of Galilee, it's kind of in this bowl of these, these kind of high mountains all around it. And so you see over here, this is the city of Tiberias, and there's these um, high mountains, and there's even higher ones that are kind of off to this side over here. And you can see to the other side, there's more mountains all across there. And there's a famous story that if you've been around the church at all, maybe you've heard about it, where Jesus does what? He walks on. And then what happens in that same story? Peter does what? Can we just like pause for a second? That's incredible, right? Has anyone in the room, can I just get a show of hands, anybody walked on water lately? Like stand up paddleboarding does not count, all right? I know you West Michiganders, that doesn't count, Okay. It's an unbelievable story that's told in the scriptures where as in this sea, the guys go out, it's late at night, it's dark, there's no lights around, they can't see city lights like they can in modern Tiberias. It's dark and all of a sudden because these mountains and it's in this bottomless bowl, man, the weather changes quick. And I literally experienced this like in the like 11 o'clock, it was kind of glassy seas and then 2.30, it was like wind just crazy, just starts whipping down into uh, the lake. It's unbelievable. And a storm rises up, we find out in the book of Matthew and turns the water up and the men begin to be fearful for their lives on the Sea of Galilee. I want you to notice something though. You can see to the other side. I'm standing on the shore and I can see the other side and the same from this side to this side. If you go out far enough, you can see from end to end of the Sea of Galilee. And this was a sea that the men knew. This is where they lived their life because they were fishermen. They knew these waters Yet even in the midst of a storm, you may find yourself, you know the situation and the circumstances where you find yourself, but when there's a storm of life, sometimes it's hard to think clearly, and it's hard to see clearly. And yet Jesus shows up in the middle of that storm, walking on the water. And if you remember, what did I say? When Jesus invited the disciples to follow him, when he invited Peter, what did he do? They were inviting him into a what? A new way of living. 
a new way of living. And so Peter in that boat in Matthew chapter 14, he says this. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, verse, chapter 14, verse 26, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Jesus calls this out. Don't be afraid. Peter takes it to heart. And he begins to live in the new way that Jesus is inviting to follow him. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, when he saw the wind and the storm swirling around him, he was afraid. And he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt. Peter's flawed in this moment because he's bold and audacious to ask Jesus to call him onto the water, and he takes a step of faith into water to walk on it. Unbelievable moment for Peter, and yet we see his lack of faith, and he begins to sink. He begins to fall down into the water. He makes a mistake. He is flawed, I want us to understand that each and every one of us are like that. As we follow Jesus, there's going to be moments where we see God do unbelievable things, and God uses us in unbelievable ways. But yet in the very same moment and in the same breath, there can be faith and there can be doubt. And it can be hard to live in this tension of being broken and sinful. Well, I want to show a few more examples of this tension that Peter lives in of where he says things with his mouth, or he acts in a certain way, but yet in the same time, we see the flaws and the brokenness. In Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20, this is the passage that we all read together, but I want us to read it again, because there's something significant that happens in this place. There's something significant that happens in this moment. Matthew 16, verse 13, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, notice he's the first to ask Jesus to call him on the water, and he takes the step. Notice Simon Peter is the first one to speak up and call this out. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevent, shall not prevail against it. Excuse me. We're going to pause right there because I want us to understand something. And I want you to see a picture of Caesarea Philippi. I want you to see this place where pagan worship took place. It's unreal to see the amount of stones and all the work that would have gone into building these temples. These places where pagan worship was all over the place. There's a temple for Zeus and there's worship of, of Pan and Echo. And there's these little niches that are cut out into the rock where idols were placed. Where stories even tell us that people would come and they would waste their money, their sexual immorality. And as part of the worship, there's prostitution that's taking place on these hills and on these rocks. And there's even places where they would sacrifice children and they would throw them down into this deep cave, often referenced as the gates of Hades. And it's in this location, just up here, there's a hill looking down on this scene. 
And the story is told that Jesus is sitting on this hill in Caesarea Philippi with his disciples having this conversation that we just read together. But who do you say that I am? In the presence of pagan worshipers, in the presence of all sorts of false worship, going to gods who are not real, stones and ideologies and ways of thinking that are not from the one true God. Jesus asks his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And it's here, overlooking all of these rocks, that Peter pipes up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus recognizes this isn't something, man did not reveal this to you. This isn't because Peter was smart, because God began to stir something in him. As a person who is flawed, we are able to find new life in Jesus Christ. And that is a work of God from the inside out as a transformed follower of Jesus. It's not us changing our behavior on the outside, hoping that we fix it on the inside. It's the other way around, that Jesus changes us from the inside out and that our behaviors and our actions begin to fall in line with that as a follower of him. This is the moment where Peter begins to hear by the revelation of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what the word Christ means. He's the promised one that is to come and to save God's people. And over these big rocks where all this pagan worship happens, Jesus says to him, I'm going to change your name from Simon to Peter. The Greek word that we have translated here to Peter's Petros, meaning a rock or a little rock. And one of the ways that I, we've heard different people and different people talk that, Peter, that God's going to build the church on Peter and his leadership. And, and there's, there's bits of that. Peter becomes an incredible leader. But the more I'm sitting in this place and as I study the word and, and the way the sentence lays out, he says, I'm going to call you Peter, little rock. And Jesus is saying to him, on this rock, on the bold proclamation that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, I will build my church overlooking pagan worship. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades will not prevail. There will be no false teaching that will push against the reality that I am the son of the living God. I'm the one who's going to make a way and bring salvation and redemption for all of my people. And I want you to just look. These are ruins that had to be uncovered and cleaned up. His church is still standing. Because his church is not a building. It's his people that follow after him. His church is still standing and is not going anywhere anytime soon. And there's another profound moment where we see Peter's actions in his mouth get a little bit ahead of him. What's interesting is we have this powerful moment in Caesarea Philippi. And in the same chapter in Luke 22... Or in Matthew 16, excuse me, we're going to Luke 22 in a second. In Matthew 16, Peter pulls Jesus aside because Jesus begins to tell of his death, that he is going to go to Jerusalem and that he is going to give up his life as a ransom for many. Peter doesn't understand all that Jesus is saying, so he pulls him aside. And in verse 22 of the same chapter where he just declared that you are Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Could you imagine that? He's rebuking Jesus, the one he just said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Hey, Jesus, can I tell you a thing or two about how this is going to go down? Like, it's crazy to think, but that's the bold, audacious nature of Peter. 
and began to rebuke him. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Meaning you will not go to prison and you will not die. I will do whatever I can to be a follower of you to make sure that you don't, be, that you don't have to die. You are the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. And he says to him, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus speaks that to Peter. Because of his lack of understanding, we see this flawed nature that happens in the life of Peter. Moments of incredible high where he sees God and he has understanding. And there's a significant moment in Caesarea Philippi. Just a few verses later, we see this low where he calls him Satan and says, Get behind me. You don't fully understand, Peter. But we know one day Peter will. I'm going to highlight one more moment in Luke 22, verse 31. Jesus does something again. And I want you to notice the name change that happens here too. In Luke 22, verse 31, if you're taking notes, write these verses down. I know we're kind of moving fast. Jesus is sitting with the disciples, and he has this side conversation with Peter. And he says, Simon, Simon. Notice he didn't call him Peter. Simon, Simon. He calls him the name that he was before, his birth name. Not the little rock, because something significant happens. We kind of see that idea in the word, is whenever he's called Simon, there's usually places where he's operating in the flesh. He's operating of his own strength. But when he's called Peter, we see this tension where he's following God, and he's acting the way and following in the footsteps that Jesus has called him to. So that's kind of a unique uh, literary device that's happening there. And he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you and your faith, that it may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. He opens his mouth. He says, no, no, that can't happen. I won't do it. I am your follower. I'm going with you to prison. I'll even die for you, Jesus. You will not give up your life. But what do we know later in the same chapter, Luke 22, verses 54 through 62, the high priest grab Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver and he's walked to the high priest's house. Peter is following behind the group, walking from the Garden of Gethsemane through the valley up to the high priest's house. And there Jesus is interrogated and he's mocked and he's likely abused and physically beaten. And in the small courtyard where Peter can hear the conversations, we find another moment where Peter makes a mistake, where he is flawed, he's broken. And in that courtyard around the fire when it's dark, two people ask him, wait, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? Aren't you one of those men that have followed him? And twice he says, I do not know him. And I want you to look in verse 60, the third time. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And just imagine this with me for a moment. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. He went out and wept bitterly. P- 
Peter, in his bold, audacious faith, wants to do everything he can to follow after his Messiah because he's been invited into a new way of living where the kingdom is going to change, where things are going to shift, where culture, the Roman occupation and all the tax collectors and all the cultural implications that are happening. There's a Messiah. He's going to bring change. And yet he's watching him being beaten and flogged likely, being accused of a crime he did not commit. And in his fear... Instead of faith, like the water, he begins to shrink back a little bit. He begins to sink down a little bit. And Jesus looks down on him after the third time. Can you imagine that for a moment? The person that you've given your life to follow after. Another moment of betrayal. And he understood the gravity of what just took place. And he went out and wept bitterly. I want to ask you a question. We know that each and every one of us, we have occupations, just like Peter did. He was a fisherman. I think for the most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we understand the brokenness that we see around us, but we also understand the brokenness that's in us. Elsewhere in the scriptures, in the book of Romans, Paul even writes, I don't do the thing I should do, and I do the thing I don't want to do. And this, this tug of war, if you will, between our flesh and our spirit, this tension that we feel often in our lives because we are flawed. We are all broken. And I just want to ask you this question this morning because I, it's kind of one of the things that began wrecking me as I walked in the places where Peter would have talked with Jesus. What do you need to grieve for? When you think about the life of Peter and you begin to see and hear some of these stories, he walked with Jesus, he made bold commitments to Jesus, but yet he was grieved at his core. He wept bitterly because he knew he betrayed his Messiah. And I wonder for us, and I wonder for our culture, if this might not be one of the things that we need to really wrestle with. Is there things that grieve your heart? And I'm not just like, oh man, my bad. Like, deeply grieve your heart. Do you realize the depth of your own depravity, your own brokenness? Do you realize the deep (laughs) sin that holds us often in our lives? And does it break your heart? Does it wreck you when you think about your sin? Does it wreck you when you think about the sin in our community, the things that hold us back from living the new life that Jesus has invited us into? What do you need to grieve for? And maybe this is something that we need to wrestle with in a time of prayer and response as you're in the word. Maybe these things you need to talk about in a small group setting or with people you trust. But I'm broken for this. My heart is grieved for this that's in me. Because here's the reality. There's hope. But we have to be willing to grieve and to be broken. And we know parts of the story that Jesus dies on the cross. And Peter is one of the first people to walk into the empty tomb. But yet he's still trying to figure out what's happening. He's still trying to understand what's going on in the culture. And how is Jesus the Messiah, but he's died, but now he's resurrected, and what's, what's to take place? Peter does what all of us do. We go back to our default settings. We go back to what we know, and we, we, we go back to what's familiar. And that's exactly what happens in John 21. John 21 and verse 1, 
it says this. After Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got in a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Sounds very familiar to Luke's account of Jesus calling him in Luke chapter 5. They're in a boat. They can't catch any fish. And so I want to ask you this question, too. I want you to write this down and process this a little bit. Does what you know keep you from following God? Does what you know keep you from following God? Because you begin to play it safe. You go, okay, these, these roads feel familiar. These things I kind of understand, and I know how to navigate in these situations and these circumstances with relationships. So it's easy to go back like Peter and say, I'm just going to go fishing. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to, to navigate this relationship tension. I don't know what to do. I'm going to go fishing. We find that Jesus has what? An invitation again to a new way of living. And just as day was breaking, verse 4 tells us, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no, which is really funny to me because Jesus knows if they have any fish or not. It's just, to me, that's a comedy moment. Um, Of course I know you don't have any fish. But he has love and care for them. And he says, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it out and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, so John's speaking this to Peter, it is the Lord. And they'd seen him risen. They'd already experienced the empty tomb, but they were still wrestling with the tension. What do we do? How do we live? And when Simon Peter heard it, noticed his bold, audacious life again, that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about 100 yards off. So about just 100 yards on that water that you saw, they would have been out. And they bring in this catch of fish. And on that, verses 9 through 14 tells us that Jesus cooks them a breakfast. A meal with his brothers, the people that he loved dearly. And it's on this very shore, and I want you to hear the sounds of that shore in the Sea of Galilee, on this black rock beach, the waves coming in and out. And imagine Jesus standing there, calling to his brothers, cast your nets out. And they come in, and and Peter swims up these very waters, climbing out of the water to be with the one who called him to a new way of life. To be with the one who gave him an opportunity to see the world change. To break free from the sins in his life. And I want you to remember just days before, three times he denied Jesus. But Jesus draws near to him. And he draws near to Jesus by jumping out of the boat and swimming as fast as he can to Jesus. And so Jesus pulls Peter aside in John 21, verse 15. And when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Talking about the disciples, the other men around them. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Can you imagine him hearing the first rooster crow? Do you love me? 
Can you imagine that? Something real and visceral. It says, you know I love you. A moment of repentance, a moment of trying to figure it out. And then Jesus gives him a command of restoration. Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter hears that rooster crow again the second time. I'm not with him. I don't know him. I'm not with him. Do you love me? He said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done it. And he gives him another command of restoration. Tend my sheep. Take care of the people that I redeem. And then he said it to him a third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Why was he grieved? Because he remembered the third time the rooster crows and he denied his Savior. And because of that, he began to understand and see the world through different eyes. That Jesus' way is an upside-down kingdom. That Jesus came to give his life so that his people may live. He began to understand what Jesus had been doing all along in all the moments and in the highs and the lows. He began to see and began to understand but yet he was grieved because of his sin. And he should have been. He sinned against his Savior. It's what we've done each and every day. But notice this. Do you love me? And he said to them, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And a third restoration command. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And then it goes on. There's some more you can read there that kind of lays out how Peter's going to follow him. But I want you to understand. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The same invitation into a new way of living is the invitation that we see the first time Jesus encounters Peter. Follow me. And in the last words that Jesus leaves with Peter before he ascends into the heavens and one day will return, he says, follow me. Me. Peter's a fisherman. He is flawed. He is broken. He is messed up. But ultimately, he becomes a follower, a transformed follower of Jesus and has an unbelievable impact for the kingdom. And he changes the world by God's power in and through him. And so here's the question that we have to answer and we have to wrestle with church. Chapel point, God has more for us. God has more for us. But will you allow yourself to be broken so that Jesus can restore you. Will you allow yourself to be broken and grieve for the sins in you and the sins of the world so that God can do a work of restoration? God has a command for each and every one of us to go and to make disciples, but it starts with us getting right in our walk and our relationship with Jesus. It starts when we realize our sins and we say, Jesus, I am sorry. You know that I love you. I will follow you. Notice the love and the care that Jesus has for Peter. He calls them children, a fatherly, loving care term as they're in the boat and he draws them in. And he gives him this command to feed a sheep, to tend the flock, to take care of his people. 
I believe God wants to do so much more through our church community, but we have to realize the gravity of sin. We have to be willing to be broken. And so how do we do that? How do we do that? We have to stop playing it safe. We have to stop playing it safe, church. What is God calling us to do? It may not make sense. The world may come against us. We may find trials and tribulations and struggles and a heartache, but ultimately we will make mistakes, but the reality is we're still called to follow Jesus no matter what. Stop playing. It's so safe. And the reason I... is because... That same command is for me as well. To stop playing it safe, Luke. Stop playing it safe. Stop depending on the things of this world to make your life happy and cared for and safe. We were made to follow Jesus, to live in a new way. And the world wants to do everything. In fact, John 10, 10 tells us that the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy, to pull back from us the life God had called us to. And we see what happens when a life recognizes its brokenness, allows God to restore us, and stops playing it safe. I want to show you one last picture. To be on first century steps, the southern steps, where right here is a gate at one point that the people would have come out of the temple. And it's on these very steps, first century stones, the time of Jesus, this isn't a recreation or a restoration piece, but these first century steps would have been Jesus preaching and calling the people to a new way of life for the kingdom of God is at hand. And many people believe that these are the same steps that went after Pentecost and the Holy Spirit filled the disciples and indwelled them forever. Peter walked up on these steps and began to preach the very first sermon that is ever preached. He stopped playing it safe and he began to speak about Jesus. He stopped playing it safe and he began to serve people like crazy. He began to lead the church and give his life so that people would know and encounter Jesus. He stopped playing it safe that ultimately he gave up his life so much so he said, I'm unworthy to be sacrificed on a cross like my Savior. And the stories are told that he was crucified upside down. crucified upside down as a sacrifice. He stopped playing it safe. And he stopped playing it safe because he began to boldly proclaim the gospel, the good news. Chapel Point, church, friends, brothers, sisters, it is time for us to stop playing it safe and open our mouths and do exactly what Peter said. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Peter standing on those steps, he says this, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ Jesus, whom you crucified. It is okay to proclaim that your sins nailed Jesus to the cross. It's okay to call it out. Stop playing it safe and using other words. Call it out. Sin is sin. Proclaim the good news, though, that Jesus restores. That it brings redemption. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
And Peter said to them, repent, turn from your sins and live in the new way of life that Jesus is inviting you into. Live in a new way of life and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord your God calls to himself. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins for everyone, for those who would believe and be called to him. And with many other words, he bore witness. He proclaimed, he stopped playing it safe on those steps where there's still other things happening around. He boldly proclaims in the middle of the hustle and the bustle of the city around the temple. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, calling them to action, calling them to repent. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Church, stop playing it safe. We have the opportunity to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. How many of you know you're a sinner? That you are flawed and you are broken? What a thought to think. We can revel in that fact. And we can be grieving in that fact because we know the hope of Jesus Christ. We know the hope of Jesus Christ that he didn't leave us in our sin, but he is the one who was crucified so our sins could be removed from us. And we get to live differently today. You get to live differently today by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells in his people. Let's break the mold of the community and the things in our culture by boldly proclaiming the gospel and stop playing it safe. God has more for us, church, and there's more lost and broken people who will find hope in Jesus Christ because of how we live. So Father, you have your way in us. We come before you boldly because of the blood of Jesus Christ, knowing that we are not our own, but we have been purchased by your blood, Jesus Christ. You are the Lord. You are the Christ. You are the Savior. You are the Messiah. You are the one, Jesus, who will come and one day remove sin completely, and it will be as it should be. So God, we pray for that day. We look forward to it knowing that you will make all things new. So Jesus, for my friends in this space, as you are convicting and as you are stirring their hearts, God, may they be bold and audacious like Peter, knowing they may stumble a little bit. Would they open their mouths, confess their sins to one another, to see you do a move, to live in a new your glory, for you are worthy, King Jesus.